Go to Genesis chapter 1, as we bring the lights up for you. Continuing through our series on different kinds of relationships that God gives us, uh, each of them intended to reflect the, uh, the character of God, the goodness of God, uh, for us to interact with each other the way that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit interact with, with each other. And so we are made in their image to reflect that. And so uh, tonight we're going to talk about marriage. And uh, there are a number of uh, directions that you could go on marriage. You could do months and months and months of sermon series on that, but we're not going to do that. We're just going to do one time, one shot at it. So if I mess this up, then oh well. Um, There's plenty of podcasts you can go listen to. Our podcast, not... Don't Google marriage podcast and just listen to anything out there. There's some weird stuff floating around. So, um, But I want us to kind of go back to something that I started out with in the beginning of the series. And uh, it's the idea that our relationships, there's kind of uh, two very important things to consider of how we're supposed to um, kind of walk in those relationships. One is the connection that you have with, with another person. And the other one is what, those, what your interactions should look like based on that connection. So you figure out, okay, how are we bonded? Like, what's our tie to each other? And then from there, it's like, okay, so how do we treat one another in light of that bond and that connection? Um, so there'll be two, two points for tonight. Uh, first, we're going to look at the connection between a husband and wife. Uh, and then we're going to look at what those interactions should look like. And the, the form of connection I want to focus on, you could pick a number of them, uh, is, is something that's described in the beginning when uh, like God is creating everything. He creates man, and you have Adam, and you have Eve. And there's a, this one really important word that is used that is misconstrued. It's not very well understood. Uh, I did a marriage discipleship like talk on this a while back, and it seemed to be something that resonated a lot. And so um, let's, let's just kind of look at what the Bible has to say. Um, so in terms of connection, I'll get to that in a second. But let's just kind of read the, read the story here. So Genesis 1, starting in verse 26. Uh, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 give us two different versions of, of the creation account. But it's not different versions like they're different. It's like it's, it's focusing on different things in chapter 1 versus chapter 2. And, and so you kind of have to read both chapters to get like the full picture of what's going on. Uh, it just kind of offers two different perspectives. So um, at, by the time you get to 26, he's made everything except for humans. And then verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image... After our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. He created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, 
Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to every thing, everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So in this account, there's a couple of things let me point out. Um, four little sub-points here uh, about this passage. One, we see male and female both being made in the image of God. We see that in 26 and 27. So in 26... God says, let us make men in our image after our likeness. That plurality is talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. All existed before creation happened. Um, there are streams of thought that Jesus and the Holy Spirit did not exist back then, but they did, and that's part of the proof. And so, uh, Adam and Eve were made in that image, in the image of a community, made to have connection. Both of them in the image of their, of their God, just like the image that uh, a child bears of their parents, that same connection. So Adam and Eve were kind of the first children of God that, that were on the earth. And so they were both made in the image of God. The second thing is that they were both given dominion. It says that in verse 26. Let them have dominion over the fish and the birds and the livestock and everything that is walking on the earth. So dominion... Okay, authority, oversight, was not given to Adam. It was given to Adam and Eve, both, uh, in that verse. Third thing, both were entrusted with the task of multiplication and filling the earth. Verse 28, God said to him, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so it was not something where God looked at Adam and said, go have a bunch of babies. He didn't look at Eve and say, go have a bunch of babies. He looked at Adam and Eve and said, Go have a bunch of babies. Okay? Uh, that was given to both of them. And the fourth thing, they're both charged with caring for creation. So in 28, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish and the birds and the heavens and everything that moves there. That there's this, this instruction given to them that they are to take care of all that God has created. That the birds were theirs. That the plants were theirs. That the livestock was theirs. Everything was theirs to oversee, to have dominion over it. That as they are being fruitful and they are multiplying, that everything that God has made and said, this is all good, Adam and Eve together were charged with, with um, having dominion over that. With being stewards of all that God had created uh, up until this point, that God says, all this is mine, and I'm asking you to take care of it. Okay, That's what we see, this really beautiful picture of what God created Adam and Eve to do. Now, if you turn just a little bit to chapter 2, down to verse 15, this is another perspective and a little bit different kind of insight as to the process that God went through. So look at verse 15. The Lord God took the man... And put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, 
But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, this part of the story, this is just to Adam. God has created them both. Um, in, like, in, the, in like the big story, he creates them both, but he doesn't create them both at the same time. So before Eve is around, he like, creates Adam and he tells him, he says, you can eat of any tree in this garden except for that one. That's given just to him. So throughout the Bible, you know, the story as it plays out is that Eve is, Eve is the one that looked at the fruit and talked to Satan and that kind of stuff. And she took the, the fruit of the tree and she ate it and she gave it to Adam and whatever. And so, but then the whole rest of the Bible, it's all blames Adam. And sometimes people are like, yeah, but Eve's the one that was like talking to the devil, right? But Adam was just standing there like a bump on a log. Letting his wife talk to the devil, you know? Like, so it was his charge to, like, for that part of creation and, and, and that way of interacting with the, with the garden, that was given to him before she was around. And so the reason that Adam is blamed is because he was passive. He was a wimp. And he just stood there and broke the whole world. So that happened before Eve was around. So he either didn't tell her, or he didn't convince her enough, or he didn't believe her enough, and we really don't have enough information to figure out where that went wrong. But that happened before she was around. So God tells him that. Then verse, 16, uh, verse 18, I need a deacon to fix that door. Not now, but one day. Any of you deacons are welcome to come repair that door whenever you want. Okay. Um, verse 18, the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see uh, what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds and to the beasts of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And when he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. The man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Okay, so what do we learn about Marriage from, from that. Well, first of all, the, the first thing that God creates that he says is not good is Adam being alone. So he had created all these things and he made Adam out of the dirt. And um, Adam has all of these, these animals to name and he names them and he names them. But none of them were able to help him with this mandate, you know. With this dominion that he was going to have over everything, with caring for creation, the the dogs weren't helping him. The hippopotamus was not helping him. The giraffe sure wasn't helping him. None of those animals were helping him. They were not. They were receiving that kind of care, but they weren't assisting him. They weren't with him, like in it with him. So God looked and said, "Everything here is good, except for the fact that this guy." can't do what I've created him to do with, like, on his own. 
So that's the first thing. Um, Adam needed some help. So God built a helper that was fit for him, that corresponded to him. Uh, we see that in, in verse 18. God says, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. Um, so he, he creates Eve not out of the dirt, but out of Adam's own body. Creates a helper fit for him uh, while he's sleeping. He wakes him up, gives him the gift of a wife. His response is, like when you look at what he says in verse 23, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. It's like he's been seeing all this creation and he's like, none of this is like me. None of this is like me. And he's like, ah, at last. This is, I'm, I'm connected to her. This is, this is right. This is good. And God said, here, I made her for you. And his response is uh, really positive. Let's just leave it at that. And so he, he responds in, in that sort of way. And the two of them together would carry out what chapter 1, 26 through 31 is saying. They together would bear the image of God. Together would be fruitful and multiply. Together would have dominion over creation. And together would care for every single thing that God had made and said, this is good. And they would care for the one thing that God made. He said it was very good, which is humanity. Now, that's like, a, you know, that's like, oh, that's a pretty story. And, you know, Josh, you did a fabulous job summarizing it for us. But that word helper, some of you ladies, that just drives you crazy, doesn't it? Because it's become, like, it's been misused for so long. Because you can read that and it's like, oh, cool. Like, uh, God gave Adam this little assistant to keep the house clean to have the babies and to feed the babies and to raise the, raise the babies until they're old enough to help him do the work work. Um, she's there to just kind of like be his like wingman. Like, oh, it's like Adam is maverick. Eve is goose. Okay, how cool. He finally get, gets that, uh, that helper that he needs. It's so nice that he has an administrative assistant to make his life easier. And their entire like systems of belief of how the marriage should be structured, how the home should be structured, how the church should be structured, that are built around that idea that Adam is up here and Eve is down here. And yet, that does not seem to be what is portrayed in this text. That that is not really what the words mean. And so a while back, I was like, I'm going to start researching that. Because the idea of being a helpmate, it bugs some people. Um, for a long time it didn't bug anybody, and now it bugs a lot of people. So I started thinking, I was like, we should probably know what that means. So the word itself is a Hebrew word, and it means strong and powerful rescuer. Strong and powerful rescuer. It's used 21 times in the Old Testament. And almost every single time, it is used to refer to God's help extended to man in cases where vital help and support were needed. This is the word, like in Psalm 121, I, I, I look to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. 
That word help, that's that. God is my strong rescuer. This is the word that, that is used when um, if someone is in battle and they're pinned in and they're fighting for themselves and then someone like shows up and is fighting, like they're like back-to-back fighting or whatever, that person is your strong rescuer. That's the Hebrew word for helper. What we're dealing with is like not really great English translations. And that happens a good bit. But when you get down to the original language, God is looking at Adam and he's saying, this guy cannot fulfill what I have called him to do unless I, I send him a strong rescuer. And together, they will walk into, in the fullness of what I have called them to do. That Adam and Eve were both made in the image of God, that they were both called to the same things, and they were called to do that together. There's nothing weak or passive about this Hebrew word. It does not convey status or compare to the one, or, um, or even compared to the one being helped. It's about the mission. And so if this word is used all throughout the Old Testament to talk about God's rescue of his people, does that mean that the, that the God as the rescuer of his people then becomes the like, submissive wingman of humanity? No. That's not the right use of this word. And so what we have to do is we have to separate ourselves from this like, cultural misunderstanding that wives submitting to their husbands means that they're just there to be the helper um, and whatever. We have, to, we have to separate ourselves from that and say, God, what are you trying to say here? And I believe that a part of what he's saying is that as a husband and wife, you are together in what God has called you to. That you are equal partners in all of the things that lie before you. Equal partners in, in careers, equal partners in parenting, equal partners in stewardship of money, in stewardship of time, in stewardship of your talents, in the role that you play in the church. You are equally side by side saying, this is what God has called us to do. That yes, you are an individual. Okay? I hate it when people act like you get married and you lose your individuality. You are absolutely still an individual. And at the same time, you are connected to another person where the two have become one. It's this amazing kind of thing that looks a lot like the Trinity, where you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, who are distinct, but yet they are unified. You have a husband and a wife who are distinct, but yet they are one. And in that, God has like called these marriages to some very specific things, and he has seen it fit that you need one another in order to effectively accomplish what he has put before you. Isn't that a very different thing than what a lot of us have grown up in? And so that's a part of the bond that a husband and wife have. Is that God looked at you as individuals, said, hey, I'm going to be your strong rescuer through this strong rescuer. I'm going to bring you together so that you pay attention to me, and that you pay attention to each other, so that you steward all that I've called you to. And apart from one another, you can't walk in the fullness of what I have planned for you. Now, uh, before I go to the, to the next part, I don't want any of my unmarried friends in the room to feel weird about this. Okay? I'm an unmarried person. So I understand that there's a part of you that's like, well... So does he just trust me a whole lot? Like, do I not need, like, a helper or whatever? And, like, don't read into all that kind of stuff. 
Don't read into it and don't feel weird about it. Because every single one of us, every single one of us unmarried folks, have friends who are married that need your support. That need, that need you and I to understand the struggle that even like having a helpmate is maybe not the greatest thing on the planet all the time. Like it's really difficult sometimes, apparently. They need us to understand that. They need us to pray for them and support them. And, and they need us to, under, like, to really try and understand as best we can as unmarried folks exactly the struggle and the blessing that some, having someone that you're in covenant with like that can be. Um, we're in it with them. Okay, so let's not act like if you're not married, none of this stuff applies to you. Because you either know married people, or maybe one day you will be married, or there's something in there for all of us. So, I meant to say at the beginning. So, um, Okay, so, so the, what's the connection? What's the first point? It's that you are a helpmate. That's a part of the bond. Is that God saw it fit to send someone to you to help you accomplish all that he has called you to. And you have been sent to someone to help them accomplish all that they have been called to. And together, you've been connected to one another to accomplish this big thing in front of you known as God's plan for your life. So that's the connection that you have. You're strong rescuers, and you're one who has been strongly rescued first by God through your spouse. All right? So that's the, that's the first thing. Second thing, um, so what, because of that, what is your interaction, what should it look like? Like, if you, if you have that in place, and we've worked past this, like, uh, like the gender role battle that people like to make a big deal out of. And you're like, okay, cool, we're, we're equal standing, which is not to say we're the same, we're very different. Um, we're going to embrace those differences, we're going to see, see, like, all the way to the end, what God means when he says, this is my helpmate, and I'm going to be your helpmate. What are the interactions supposed to look like? Let me tell you three, three things really quickly. One. There is uh, there's unity. There's unity that happens when you are someone's helpmate. God could have made Eve from the dirt as well, but he didn't. That's not an insignificant detail. It's not like he was like, oh, I've already done that. Let me do something different. Let me see if I can make a, a lady out of a rib. You know, like, he's like, no, he's pretty, pretty sure he could do it. That's a very intentional move on God's part, that, that Adam and Eve were different. But there, but, there, but there was a oneness that was there. Like She like, was a part of him, and he was a part of her. And when he looked at her, and he was like, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Like, there's a connection that's here. There's a oneness that exists, even though you're very different. There aren't, there aren't two separate purposes with Christ and the church and there aren't two separate purposes with the husband and the wife. And so you're, you're dialed into the same things. And so as a spouse, in every area of life, you are the strong rescuer to your spouse. Which means that, that if you are married to someone, and let's say, that, let's say that one of you is a teacher and one of you is a paramedic, that the teacher is just as much called to... The, their spouse is like being a paramedic as the paramedic is called to being a paramedic. And so as a teacher, you're trying to figure out how can I help you be the, like the paramedic that God has called you to be. And so you're not just like, I'm going to get in my lane and you get in your lane and we'll just kind of see how it goes. It's like, no, I'm very much invested in, the, in your lane. 
very much invested in what you have going on and what God has called you to, whether it's career, whether it is like stuff with parenting, whether it's like domestic things around the house, whether it's finances or spiritual gifts and role in the church or whatever it is, you are equally invested in your spouse and yourself. Too many marriages, people just worry about their own lane. I'm like, well, that's not, that's not your thing. That's my thing. It's like, no, it's, it's our money. It's our house. It's our uh, careers. It's our role in the church. And even though you're separately doing some things, you're there to be a helpmate to your spouse. And so there's a oneness that exists. There's not a dividing line between the lanes. It's like all this one big thing. And so there's a unity that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They're each playing their own role, but they're absolutely invested in one another. As husbands and wives, you are a shadow of that. You are made in that image. So as a helpmate, there's a oneness that exists. You have this amazing gift that God has given you. Say, here, here's someone to help you with all the things that you're called to. Here's someone that's going to make you better at all the things that, that I have for you. It's a, it's a gift. It's like, here. And if you're married, seeing your spouse as a gift is something that you probably do already. But don't you want that to be like one of the deepest like realities that you live in as a couple? Like, wow, God has given me such a gift with you. How can I help you be everything that God like has you doing? And this is how you can help me be everything he's called me to do. So there there isn't like this, these separate things. There is a oneness there, even in the midst of the individuality, just like with the Trinity. So the first thing is unity, and it's seen most clearly uh, there in the rib, body, you know, creation thing with Eve. Uh, go to Ephesians 5 for the last two, very quickly. Ephesians 5. It's a familiar text if you've been around for a while and talking about marriage. Uh, so the first thing in terms of interaction is there's unity. Even in the midst of your distinctions, there's oneness. The second thing uh, is leadership. Ephesians five twenty two. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Not a very popular passage with the feminists. <laughs> because when, you are just, when you're just reading that with no context, when you don't understand Genesis 1 and 2, you don't understand helpmates, you don't understand Adam and Eve, you don't understand the, the mandate to care for creation, be fruitful and multiply, and oversee all that God has said is good, when you don't have any of that context and you just turn to this verse... This reads, wives, you've got to do everything your husbands say. And if you don't, you're being a bad wife. See, it's, it, those don't sync up. See, submission is not really what we think it is. See, every partnership needs a leader. Even, even among unified equals, there has to be a leader. And so you can think, um, you can think the Knights of the Round Table, but they had King Arthur, right? Was it Arthur? Was him? Yeah. Who was like... He was given leadership to a round table. And the reason the table was round is because there's no one at the head of the table. But someone had to give leadership to that. That's a really dumb analogy. Let's think about Jesus in the church. Do you... <laughs> Not in my notes. I need to stick to them. Okay. Uh, it's actually true about the round table, but we'll come back to that later. Uh, with Jesus in the church, okay, um, 
Like he is the head of the church, as it says. But the head is connected to the body. And so there's a oneness that exists, but him being the head of things means he gives leadership to the rest of this body, but he's not separate. He's not greater than. That's just the role that he plays. Now, he is God. He doesn't have to involve us. He doesn't need us. He is greater than us, but he is constantly saying, no, come be a part of me. Come into my family. Come rule and reign with me forever as my children. I'm going to adopt you. We're going to be as this one family. I'm just going to give leadership to all this equality that exists. And I'm going to empower your efforts. Same thing in the church where we we have a board of elders who give leadership, but yet these elders are not greater than anyone else in the congregation. It's just the role that the elders play is let's give leadership to all these moving parts. It's the same way with a husband and a wife. You have this, this, this equal partnership, both made in the image of God, both called to steward all these things that God has for you as helpmates to one another. But God says, hey, husband, I want you to give leadership to your family. Leadership is not the same as ruling over, and submission is not the same as being lesser than. It's like a, it's like a dance. Uh, and when the equality is there, and when you understand, like, okay, we're in this together, then when, when the husband gives leadership to the family, it just makes sense. So submission is not really what we think it is. It's another time where we just have a bad connotation with a concept that we would probably all agree with. Adam should have given leadership to Eve in that moment when she was like, hey, I kind of want to eat. I kind of believe what this snake is telling me. He should have been like, no. Absolutely not. We are not. That's not who we are. He should have spoken up, but he was passive. And as husbands, you're called to give leadership to your wife and to your family, but it is not because you're greater. It's just that's the role that God has called you to play. And wives, it's not saying you should blindly submit to things that you don't have a voice or any of the stuff that that our cultural baggage wants to say it is. It is this beautiful, like, it's like Jesus submitting to the Father. He's been like, yes, I am on board with this. I know that we are equals, but Father, you are leading the Trinity. Jesus, you are leading the church. Elders, you are leading living hope. Husbands, you are leading your wives and your families. That's how it works. And when the, when the foundation is in place, then that makes sense. But when there's a poor foundation, you just really want to rail against it. So Jesus has established the unity and the equality and the order. And so we need to let him be the one that defines what marriage is supposed to look like in terms of roles and all that kind of stuff and not let the world around us do that. So we have unity, we have leadership. The third thing is holiness. Holiness. Look at 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Listen to all the references to holiness, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. He's saying, this is your, this is your standard. You want to be a real helpmate to your spouse? Before you get into career or parenting or money or stuff around the house or anything like that, before you're any of those things, you are a helpmate to your spouse in their pursuit of holiness and being just like their God. That's the best way you can love your spouse as Christ loved the church. He loved her unto holiness. That is what you are called to. Married people, you have someone who can help you be holy. There's a lot of unmarried people who would love to have that gift. 
Please steward it well. Realize that that's how God has put things together. Please hear what Paul is saying. Saying this refers to Christ and the church. Husbands, love your wives the same way. Wives, love your husbands the same way. This is your helpmate. You're, uni- you're unified. There's leadership there, but it is all about your holiness. There's a book, and that's the tagline, is that maybe marriage isn't intended to make you happy, but to make you holy. This, this really shouldn't be a question. It should be a statement. This is exactly what Paul would say. It's exactly what Jesus would say. It's exactly what the Bible says. That's how Jesus loves us. And he's done that through his work on the cross, through his continuing sanctification of our lives. It's this beautiful thing where we need a strong rescuer. And he stepped in and said, yes, I'll be that for you. So if you want your marriage to be what God designed it to be, the first thing you have to do is become an expert on the original that you're a copy of. You have to master what Jesus has done. You've got to study it. You've got to memorize it. You've got to imitate it. You have to become that. And then you'll know. Then you'll know as you're facing something as a couple. Like, what are we supposed to do here? Well, let's start by thinking about how Jesus does this for the church. And then let's just imitate that. God had this brilliant idea of marriage. It's one more relationship that you have in your life where you're made in the image of God to imitate him in order to become like him, to participate in his life. And so as we respond in the next few minutes, we're going to take communion, we're going to sing a little bit, and then we're going to go have a big meal over there. But it is all beginning with what Jesus has done. And so before before this is about marriage, this is about the Lord. And so I hope the more that we can love him and see what he has done for us, the way that that will impact all of our relationships, So I hope this has been encouraging to you. Um, I'm going to pray for us. We're going to take communion and sing a little bit and then uh, close things out before we go eat together. So why don't you stand up as as the band comes forward. Taylor's going to come and serve tonight. God, I thank you so much for your goodness to us. When we think about a spouse being a strong rescuer that comes from you, We know that that's really just patterned after your rescue of us. We were not uh, in a situation where we could be all that we were created to be. We needed you, Jesus, to be the first. The first strong help to come to us. God, we thank you for the the relationships that we have that are are made in that image and made to imitate and, and to learn from that. Would you help us with each, each passing day, with each time that we gather and sing and look at the word, and each time we step to the table, would you help us to understand a little bit more each time your grace and your goodness to us, that we could know what to imitate and how to, how to walk in your ways and become more and more like you. So we thank you, God, that you offer to us your body and your blood shed so that we could live this kind of life. Pray that as we sing and pray and respond that you would uh, have your way in our hearts and our minds during this time. We love you. We pray this in your name.